Good morning, church. God bless you. Praise God for the worship today. Awesome. Thank you all so much. It's just wonderful, wonderful. Amen. I know some are still out celebrating the 4th. I see them not here. But I won't preach to them. I'm going to preach to those that are here. Hallelujah. Welcome Facebook. Love you guys that join us by Facebook and uh, every Sunday. And however you get the message, that's the main thing. Amen. Amen. Turn over and smile at somebody. Tell them how good they're looking this morning. Tell them they smell good, too. <laughs> if they don't, just say it by faith. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. Let's look in our Bibles to two places this morning. This is actually a couple of scriptures that, uh, you know, a lot of people uh, write questions to me. And, uh, and listen, if you've done that, sometimes I just don't have time to get to them in a, in a uh, quick manner, especially I've got, I've got people right now that's probably mad at me because you've sent me dreams and I haven't interpreted them yet. I don't know if I can. Uh, but I'll get to them, I promise, eventually. And, uh, but in Matthew chapter 7, these uh, two verses bother a lot of people. They, there's a lot of confusion about what Jesus is saying here. And uh, this is actually part of his Sermon on the Mount. Um, it starts in uh, Matthew chapter 5. It covers chapter all of 5, all of 6, and all of chapter 7. And uh, he is, remember, he's preaching the law to those people that are under the law. And uh, he says this in verse 13. He says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life and there are few who find it and that bothers people how that's how Jesus worded that that there's a narrow gate there's a wide gate so there's two gates there's two paths there's two ways and that's why I entitled this there's two paths but there's really only one way that leads to life and that's uh, Jesus right but Jesus said it's a, the narrow gate. He said it's a difficult way that leads to life, and there are few who find it. And then in chapter 13 of the book of Luke, verses 23 and 24, this is basically the same thing just uh, in the book of Luke. And in verse 23, someone said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? He, they, he was asked this question, are there few who are saved? And he said to them, strive to enter the narrow gate. Strive to enter. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Now, Jesus said there's going to be many people that's going to try to enter, but they're not going to be able to. Now, let me ask you this. What is the narrow gate? Let me ask you this, and this, this will help you. Who is the narrow gate? Okay. So Jesus is the narrow gate. Jesus is the narrow gate. But what does it mean to find the narrow gate? And why did Jesus say many will try to enter and they'll fail they won't be able to uh, I remember as a kid in Sunday school in church they did a real good job of telling us about the broad way and the narrow way uh, and I understood that the broad way was like a freeway uh, to destruction and nearly everybody was traveling on it and then there was the narrow way that led to life and it was, it was like finding a secret passage and they were very few that were were on that path and, but Jesus said the narrow gate uh, isn't just hard to find, 
but he said it's hard to enter. And then he said many will try to enter, but they won't be able to. And so, so why is that? Why is that the terminology, the, the phraseology, if you will, that Jesus used? And so that's what we want to talk about today. Amen? Let's pray, and then we'll let you be seated. Father, we thank you for your precious word. We thank you for, Lord God, declaring that there is a path that leads to, to eternal life. And we give you praise for that. Because, Jesus, you are that gate. You are that path. And so, Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray today that you would help us to see you as the door into the sheepfold, into eternal life, and that we'll make that choice, Lord God, to serve you, to live for you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. God bless you for being here today. Uh, the picture of this is uh, difficult for a lot of people to get a hold of, and some people use these verses uh, these passages to scare people. And uh, the, the picture is really of a multitude of people coming to the door who is Jesus, right? And they've heard of him and they're wanting to enter, but they can't enter in. Now, you got to remember that when Jesus in John chapter 3, he was talking to Nicodemus. Y'all remember that story? And he comes to Jesus by night and Jesus tells him, he says, you must be born again. And uh, he said, do not marvel that I say unto you that you must be born again. Now listen, he said, because if you're not born again, you can't even see the kingdom of heaven. You can't even see it. Now there's a lot of things you can't see it before you are part of it. Uh, salvation is one of those things. You really can't see it until by faith you just accept Christ. It's kind of like this. When I was growing up, you know, uh, your parents would say this to you. A lot of parents did. Well, you won't understand, you know, what's going on until you have kids of your own. You ever heard that? And no matter what they said to you or anybody said to you, you really didn't get it until you had kids of your own. And then you go, I see it now. And that's the same way with grandkids. You know, my kids think that I morphed into a whole different human being when the grandkids come along. I get, maybe I did. I don't know. But they're like, this is not the guy that raised us. This is a different, this is a different guy. And all I can say to them now is you won't understand it until you have grandkids. And once you have grandkids, then you'll understand it. And so it's just, but Jesus was telling Nicodemus, you can't see the kingdom, Nicodemus, until you're born again. But once you're born again, you see it. And then Jesus went on to say, but you can't enter in the kingdom except by the water and by the spirit to enter in the kingdom. So Jesus is talking about, you know, the, the, the reason that people can't enter in. Uh, you, you see this picture. They're all, all these people are trying to enter in. They're wanting to enter in, but they can't get in. Now, got remember, the door is Jesus. So what's going on here? Now, the reason they can't enter is because outside the door, listen to me, there's a bouncer. You ever tried to get into a club back in the, in the day? I'm old enough that I've seen disco make two appearances. Hallelujah. But in a lot of club situations, maybe a bad example I don't want to think of, but that's where you really think about bouncers, you know. Uh, you can come in. No, you can't come in. You know, you're good looking enough to come in. No, we don't allow ugly people in here. You can't go. Whatever the deal is. But the point is there's a bouncer out there. And uh, he's called a bouncer for a reason because he just bounces you right on now. If you can't, they're trying to get in, but you have to get past this guy for him to let you in. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? So there's a, this is the reason people can't enter in to the door is because outside that bouncer is out there and his name is religion. And, and this bouncer is a bully 
and he speaks lies to everybody that comes to try to approach that door who is, who is Jesus. And he tells them all kind of lies. And I could do a whole sermon for weeks just on the lies of religion. But, but the, the most common lies is, you, you know, like this, just picture this in a pictorial way like that bouncer. You can't come in here looking like that. I, I, you know, over the years, I can't tell you how many people have told me if the conversation ever came around to coming to church or, or you know, getting right with God or wh- whatever the conversation was, you know, they have to work on themselves before. They have to, you know, well, I need to get my life together, uh, Pastor, and then I'll come to church. How many thinks any of those people ever came to church? Because you can't get your life together. You know, well, I need to clean up before I take a shower. What? I need to take a bath before I take a shower. Does that make any sense? That's the same way as I'm going to clean up. I got to get myself together and then I'm going to start going to church. Well, you won't ever go to church. You won't ever come to Christ because you can't clean yourself up. You can't get yourself together. You can't put your life back together. In fact, somebody said, well, I gave my life to the Lord. You didn't have a life to give him. You didn't give your life to the Lord. You didn't have life. The Bible said the reason Jesus came was to give us life. He said, I've come that you might have what? Life. You didn't have life. The Bible says you were dead. You were dead in trespass and sin. You and I didn't have a life to give. I gave the Lord my life. No, you gave him your death. <laughs> Just say it that way. I gave my death to the Lord. But, you, but this, these lies of religion, you know you, you know, you don't look good enough. You need to do this. You need to do that. Uh, uh, the reason entering is not easy is because religion says you got to work hard at this every day. You probably won't make it. You'll give up a lot of fun stuff. Uh, you might as well just live for the devil. All the, all, whatever the lies are, and I can't tell you how many people. I know people right now specifically. I know people. Um, I'm thinking of one person right now. That's, I, I, but I know so many people that were raised in a religious, uh, legalistic environment, and now they're grown, and their parents uh, live that way. They, they still believe that way. I mean, so it's very, very legalistic. This person can't live that because nobody can. And this guy's miserable. He, he, he wants Jesus. He wants to enter in. But he thinks it's like this. He thinks he's got to dress like that. He thinks he's got to be like that to enter into Jesus so he doesn't enter in. And so he just lives. He's, he's just miserable. He just, he's just a miserable person because his version of Jesus is what his parents do. God bless his parents, but they're wrong. His version of Jesus is his mama, you know, she doesn't wear makeup, she doesn't cut. And I'm not being offensive. I mean, do what you want to do with yourself. I ain't married to you. I mean, do what you want to do. It's not about that, but it is to a lot of people in that caught up in that stuff. Well, to be, a, to be with Jesus, you got to look like this. To be with Jesus, you got to be like that. And, and, and you, you understand that. And we don't have a, a lot of that, but I'm thinking about this one guy. That's the same thing. He wants to enter in, but he can't because there's that bouncer there telling him, listen, now you got to do this. You can't get in here like that. You got to get yourself together. You got to clean up your life. And, uh, and so instead of entering through the door, which is Jesus, they choose the door of self-trust. Like Adam choosing the tree of knowledge of good and evil, over the tree of life, then they choose that. But that, the knowledge of good and evil, that tree leads to what? To death. And so the narrow gate is not hard to enter because God has strict requirements of those who enter. Now listen, God does have real strict requirements. But he has met all those requirements through his son Jesus and gifted those to us. But Jesus, he, he, 
he met all that on our behalf. And the narrow gate is hard to enter because people are really, they're, they're just slow of heart to believe the goodness of God and the message of grace. Uh, it's just much easier to believe that you've got to do A, B, C, D, E before you can come in here. It's just much easier for, for the religious mind. And uh, because people are so quick to believe that. And they'll go, well, you know, I'm a mess. I, I mean, I can't approach God. Listen, it's the same thing Adam and Eve did in the garden. Okay, we've we, we really messed up here. We're, we, we've lost the glory. We're naked. Come on. So we've got to do something to get ourselves fixed up so we make fig leaves. I mean, as silly as that is for Adam and Eve to make garments of fig leaves, I mean, how temporary is that? Okay? Uh, it's the same thing that we do. Man is always looking for something to do to get himself in a position that he thinks he can be acceptable to God. And that's what religion does. And so instead of coming into the house of grace and getting all their needs met and supplied for righteousness, wholeness, everything by Jesus, they're stuck outside trying to get themselves together, trying to cleanse themselves before they ever enter into that gate. Um, instead of beholding the lamb, they're beholding themselves. Right? Instead of, instead of looking at Jesus and focusing on all of his perfection, they're focusing on themselves and focusing on all their imperfections. That's what religion does to you. It gets you to looking at the wrong person. And so wh- why did Jesus say only a few find the narrow gate, the narrow door? Why, why is it only a few? Be- because you've got to remember this. Now listen to me. In the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus is preaching there in Matthew 7, Remember, like I said, he's preaching to those who are under the law. Remember, the Bible says in Galatians, Jesus was born of a woman, but he was born under the law to redeem those under the law. So Jesus is preaching the law to those that are trying. And let me tell you who he's preaching to. He's preaching to the Jews who are believing in a watered-down version of the law. That's why Jesus said, y'all have watered it down. Basically, you, you think that you... You, you can keep these rules, these commandments, and be acceptable to my Father. Jesus said, you've heard it said that thou shalt not commit adultery. But he said, I say unto you that if you even look at a, a woman and lust after her, you've committed adultery already. Jesus said, you watered it down. He said, you said as long as I hadn't physically done that, I'm okay with God. Jesus said, no, if you've ever even looked at a person and lusted, he said, you're guilty of it. So, see, he raised the standard because that's God's standard. They were trying to go by rules and regulations. Jesus said, you missed the whole spirit of the law. He said, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. But Jesus said, if anybody's ever hated anybody in here, you're all murderers. You're guilty of murder. So that made everybody a murderer listening to the sermon that day. Do you see what I'm saying? I've I've heard preachers dumb enough. I, I hate to say it that way, but they're just dumb enough to say, you know, you think you're, you know, uh, you know, you may not be under it, you know, because the Bible says we're not under the law. We're under grace. You're no longer under. Sin shall not have dominion over you. Why? Because you are not under the law, but you're under grace. Is that right? And I've heard, I've heard this all my, well, you may not be under the law, but you're not above it. Yes, I am above it. I am way above it because I am seated with Christ in heavenly place. I'm above the law. Jesus... Paul said in Romans, Christ is the end of the law to them that believe. The Bible says the law was not given for the righteous, but for the unrighteous. The law's purpose is to make you realize that you need a Savior and nobody can live this. 
And so you got to remember when Jesus made these statements, he's talking to people who were believing in a watered-down version of the law, and they thought that they could make themselves acceptable to God. Uh, and and, and if, if, you, if you believe that, then you're going to have real trouble finding the door of grace. Um, for example, you ever heard the Pharisees? Man, if, that don't, if, that's not, if that's not the picture of the bouncers at the door, I don't, I don't know what is. The Pharisees, they, did, they never found the door. You know why? Do you know why people don't find the door, the narrow gate that leads in? You know why they don't find it? Because they're not looking for it. They're not looking for it. In Matthew 23 and 13, I didn't give them this, but I don't think throw it up fast if they want to. Matthew chapter 23, verse 13, this is what Jesus said to those guys. Now he says, but woe to you. Scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. See how nice Jesus was? And he's doing this face to face. He's not doing this on Facebook. People brave on Facebook and those hide behind them iPhones. But Jesus said, Jesus is looking at them. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. He says, look what he says to them. For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. God's not shutting it up. He said, but you shut it up against men. For you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. That's the bully at the door. The Pharisees are standing at the door. Jesus said, you won't go in. But you're shutting up the kingdom to people that are trying to enter in. He says, it's bad enough that you won't go in. But you don't allow the other people to go in because you're throwing all these regulations and rules and tell them all what they got to do before they can enter in. So why did Jesus exhort us to strive to enter the narrow gate in Luke 13 and 24? That's what it says. It says strive to enter. I mean, how do you strive to? I thought the gate was Jesus. How do we strive to enter into Jesus? Now listen to me. Let me tell you what he's not saying. He's not saying that you strive in the flesh to overcome sin and pass the test and then you can come in. He's not saying that you conquer all your problems, get rid of all your addictions, get rid of all your sin, get rid of all your bad habits or whatever you want to call it. And then when you get all that together and get everything controlled and done and fixed up, then, I mean, you're, you're, you're becoming, you know, you're your own savior. Why do you even need Jesus then if you can do it all that? Right? So what's he saying? Strive to enter. We strive to enter the narrow gate for the same reason that, that, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 11 says, strive to enter into the rest of God. Remember that verse? We'll we'll go there in a second. But listen, it takes effort. Why? Why does it take effort? Why strive to enter the narrow gate? Why strive to enter the rest of Jesus? Because walking by faith does not come naturally to us. We walk by sight. We do not walk by faith. But walking by faith is not walking by sight. Right? And so it's the nature of the flesh to take control and make things right. Here we're back to the fig leaves again. That's the nature of flesh. I got this. I, I, I can get myself together. I can pull myself up by my bootstraps. Whatever, you, whatever your deal is. Uh, it takes effort to resist the flesh and allow our hearts to be established in nothing, listen, nothing but the grace of God. Um, Hebrews 4 and 11 says, let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the example of unbelief. He's talking about the Hebrews. And then in Hebrews, verse 9 and 10 of chapter 4 of Hebrews, he says, there remains, 
Therefore, a rest for who? For the people of God. For he who has entered his rest, notice this capital, his rest, has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. All right, so why does it say that we strive to enter in, to, to, to labor to enter in? Hebrews 4 and 3 says, For we who have believed do what? Do enter that rest. So how do you get into that rest? By believing. Not, not by doing. So the, listen, what, what's the work he's talking about? What's the work he's talking about ceasing from? It's the work that we rest from is the dead works of religion of trying to earn God's favor and earn whatever you're trying to get from God. I don't care what you put into blank. You can, you can be trying to earn your healing. You can be trying to earn God's favor or financial blessing in your life. Whatever it is, but you can't earn that. And so when you read these passages in Hebrews in their context, you, you're going to see that he's referring to the, to the unbelieving children of Israel. And listen, they tried to earn what God wanted to give them, and, and therefore they never entered into that Lord's rest because they were trying to put a charge on what was free. So why can we rest? Because Ephesians 1 and 3, listen to what it says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed is has past tense here or future? Who has blessed us with every what? Spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. All right? Now listen to me. Either this is true or it isn't. Now, he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. So what spiritual blessing are you seeking? Which one did God lie about? What second, third, fourth, or fifth blessing are you trying to get God to give you? See how quiet it is in our assembly? I know it messes up a bunch of your praise songs. Second Peter 1, verses 2 and 3. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Listen to what it says. Grace and peace. Don't you like that? Grace and peace be multiplied to you. In the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So how does grace, grace and peace get multiplied to you? In the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. That's what's happening right now. All right. Verse 3. As his divine power has, has given to us. How many things? All things that do what? Pertain to life and godliness. How's it come though? Through the knowledge of him who has called us by glory and virtue. So the Bible, this is why you can rest. If you'll get this right here, this is why that we can rest. But if you don't know this, if you don't believe this, you're never going to rest. If you don't believe that God has already in the past already blessed you with every blessing in Jesus Christ, then you're going to work, 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 and never rest. You're going to exhaust yourself trying to get what he has already given you. Now, here you go. This is going to aggravate people. N none of you. So you start singing these songs, more, Lord, more. We just need more of Jesus, more of you and less of me. Lord, I pray that you increase and I decrease. All of that is a spirit of stupid. It is. It's religion. 
You're trying to work for what's free. You're trying to get God to give you what he already gave you. Well, where I don't feel, well, you might not feel it. Well, I don't see it. You, you won't see it. It's in your spirit. You talked about it this morning. It's on the inside of it. Where? In your spirit, man. That's why you must be born again. God's put everything. Listen, the Bible says you've been given the fullness of God in Christ. You have received the fullness, so what are you seeking for? What do you want a seven-day fast to get more of God for? All that's going to do is help you be skinny or whatever you, your deal is. But you, God's, God can't give you more than he's given you. He's already given you his best and his all, and that's his son. Where did he deposit that? In your spirit. Now, what we're doing is we're learning to live out of the revelation of that, and we're learning to get our soul, which is our mind and our will and our emotions and our flesh to tag along and to, to live out that and to grow in that maturity of that knowledge. But we're not trying, my point is we're not trying to get God, listen, there's no deficit in you. There's no deficiency in you. There's no lack in you. You don't lack for anything. God didn't, you know, give like his favorite kid, you know, a whole lot of stuff and then you didn't hardly get anything. And you, you know, God doesn't have like stuff like this. That's all lies of religion. But I'm telling you, most of the church believes that. So they're trying to seek God for these things. They're, they're trying to, they're trying to get Get God to give them what he's already given them. Well, Lord, I just pray you'd pour out your spirit. He says, I already have. You ever read Acts 2? God, we just pray today for an open heaven in this service. We just pray the heavens will be open and you will pour out of your spirit on all us gathered in here because we all dumb as a brick and have never read your book and we don't even know what. At least when you leave, you don't have to worry what I really was trying to say. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just telling you, you have to shake people up. Man. Isaiah 64 and 1, oh, God, thou would rend down the heavens and come. That's great, man, for Isaiah. That was wonderful. Because at that point, when he's prophesying it, God hadn't done it. But when Jesus got baptized, God ripped the heavens open, spoke audibly. God became flesh and was walking among people. He's already ripped the heavens open. He's already come down. He's not doing, going to do it again, no matter how many prayer meetings and emphasis you have. Oh, God, pour out your spirit on us. He's already poured it out. More, Lord, more. He can't give you any more. <laughs> they don't even believe this. He can't give you any more. See, you're going by what you feel instead of what the Word says. You've got to learn to live by the Word of God. So, and I, hey, man, I was that guy, and I got a lot of mercy. I was that guy for decades. I would fast and pray for the anointing. Oh, God, please. I'd dig holes in the carpet. and I, I, would, I really, I would fast and pray. I remember one time when, we, when I first started preaching, me and my wife lived in a little two-bedroom apartment, man, we were renting. And, uh, and man, it, you know, and I was just starting to preach. And, like, sometimes on Sunday after Sunday, my pastor would look at me, you know, and I, would, I was just green as a gore, man, just getting started. He would say, Dale, I want you to preach tonight. Man, and once he said that, man, my face, I wouldn't go eat with him after church. I'd go straight home. I'd get in my Bible, and I'd literally lay in the floor, and I would pray up to 6 o'clock, which service time. I'd beg God to send an angel with the sermon. You know, already kind of wrote out for me to hand to him, kind of deal almost. I mean, I mean, I want God to give me the word. You know, and, just, and, I, I just, and I remember one time I was doing that, and I wouldn't, and the kids were little babies, and I would just, you know, want her to keep them out of the 
my place of prayer and, you know, keep them quiet. And, you know, I'm there trying to seek God. I'm the man of God, you know. Trying. And I remember one time she looked in there and I was laying on the floor on a whole brown, dirty carpet that was in there. And I mean, and she said, if it's going to be like this, I don't know if I'm going to be able to take it. <laughs> and she said that and shut the door, you know. And I'm talking about, well, that was mean. I'm the man of God. I'm in here trying to get a word from the Lord. She told me, if it's going to be like this, being a preacher's wife, well, I don't think I'm going to be able to take this. God was like, I, 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 I can't take it either. I mean, I, <laughs> what was I doing? I was striving, but not in a good way. I wasn't resting at all. It was all on me. And I never knew that the Bible said that, we, that you have received an anointing. That you, when you got born again, you received the anointed one. How can you not be anointed? You've received the, and it says, it says three times in the New Testament, we have received, not will receive if you pray and fast, the anointing. You need not that any man teach. You've received the anointing of the Holy One. So now here's my prayers are so different now as a preacher. Man, I used to every, I, every Sunday morning, I'd be, oh, God, would you please let your anointing come today? <laughs> it was so stupid. But I was sincerely stupid. I was sincere. I meant it. I thought that's how it came. And so now, and, and I know this really, people aggravate, and they misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying you shouldn't spend time with God. I'm sure not saying you don't have to spend time with God. I mean, as far as, I, I even hate the word have to. I, that'd be like saying, well, you have to spend time with your wife. What if I came to somebody and said, brother, you know, listen, man, I, I, can, you, can I just ask you to pray with me about something? Sure, Pastor Dale. What it, just pray that I'll want to spend time with Jill. Just pray that I'll discipline myself to spend time with her, to be intimate with her, you know. Just pray, man. I'm just I'm having a tough time. What would you think about that kind of prayer request? Come on now, be honest. What would you think about that kind of prayer request? What would you say? You would say that. that he doesn't love his wife. So you think I have to spend time with her? No, I get to. It's all get to. You have to go to church? No, I get to. Did you have to come today? No, I, I got to come today. You have to preach today? Do you feel like preaching after being on vacation for a week? Yeah, I get to. I love doing this. I love doing this. I get to. So if you're in a have to, you're in religion. If there's any kind of strain or stress or spear in your back, you're in religion, man. You're missing something really special. I get to. I get to. This ain't a have to. This is get to. And the rest that comes with that. So this morning when I went to prayer, yeah, I prayed before I got up here. I got sense. I mean, I'm, I'm not standing in my own strength. God do anything. But I just said, Father... My prayers are so different now. Father, I thank you for the anointing that you've placed on the inside of me. I'm serious. This is why I, pray. I prayed it this morning. God, I thank you for the anointing that's on the inside of me. My prayer, I pray today that you would cause me to yield and help me to yield to that anointing that you've put on the inside of me. Let that anointing flow out of me unobstructed, unhindered. Let that anointing flow today. Let your word go forth. That's, that's my prayer now. So I don't have to spend all those hours, oh, God, please, anoint me down. 
And then if I fasted like three or four or five days, and I've done that, I mean, she had to, I mean, I just fat. There was so many, there was, I'll just say, I don't want to exaggerate anything. Long, long time, months and months and months where I would not even, I didn't even ever go to the pulpit unless I'd fasted at least 24 hours. Is there something wrong with fasting? Absolutely not if you know why you're doing it. If you're doing it to try, you think you can jack God's arm behind his back and twist it a little bit and make him give you what you want, you don't know him. If you think that you've got to get a prayer, and this is going to get me some, just send them, I love you. Listen, I'm not saying prayer chains are wrong. I get accused, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying it's evil for you to have a prayer chain. But if you think that because you're in a desperate situation or your kid or your grandkid or a family member and they got some kind of dreaded disease and all of a sudden now you got to get as many people as you can praying. Because you think if we get a hundred people praying instead of just one, then you got a better chance of hitting the numbers. Lottery player. If we've got a thousand people praying, let's keep this chain going. Let's get all the people we can praying for this situation. Then maybe God will hear us. You don't know him. God's not some bureaucrat in Washington that you've got to get a petition together. You think my kids like would have to go through the neighborhood and get their signatures and all the other kids in the neighborhood and present that to me for me to feed them supper? Come on, Dad, I got 100 kids to sign this petition. Can we have steak tonight? <laughs> that wouldn't be a good dad, would it? Well, give me 200 signatures and I'll think about it. What kind of dad is that? What kind of dad are you praying to? Are you, are, are you more concerned about that person than God is? Do you have more compassion in, uh, for that person that is suffering of cancer than God does? Do you think you've got to convince God to care? Who, who are you talking to, man? Why, why you got to get the, that, that one person to pray? You know, the super person. The Spider-Man of Christianity. The Superman of religion. What? That guy, if that guy prays, that person can get a prayer through. What is that? That's religion. Do you think... God says, I'll, my ears are always open to the, to the cry of the righteous. Well, that's the problem, Brother Dale. I'm not righteous. Well, get saved then. Because it, it, it's part of the package. It's like the steering wheel. It comes with the car. At least they do now. In about 20 years, it probably won't come with the steering wheel, but now they still do. You understand righteousness is a gift. It's been gifted to you. Learn to live out of that. You know what the biggest hypocrites in the church are? It's not the people that, you know, it's not who you think there is. The biggest hypocrites in the church is people that won't live in agreement with what God did for them when, he, when they got born again. They won't live out of that righteousness. They won't live out of the revelation that they've been gifted with holiness. They're trying to earn it. They're, they're, they're trying to get God to, to, to give them what he's already given them. And they spend a lot of time. And it's real busy. And they make a lot of fig leaves. And they really look busy. They go on prayer vigils and try to dethrone principalities and powers even in other nations or this nation. I know people get mad about this stuff. They, 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 so, you, so in other words, so this is what you're saying then. So when Jesus died on the cross and the book of Colossians says that he, he made a public shame 
of the enemy. And he dethroned all powers and principalities and powers of darkness on that throne. But you're saying he didn't. So he left some, un, some principality and powers not unthroned yet, which would make the scripture a lie. And so now you've got to go and pray and fast and walk around and chant and speak in tongues for 27 days. And now you're going to, get the, you're going to make the devil leave. Is that what you're telling me? And you want me to buy a plane ticket to go with you? Not going to do it. Because I believe the word. Now, I know a lot of people do that out of ignorance. They do that. But if, if Jesus left it undone, then he lied when he said it is finished. Well, that means we don't have anything to do. Grace makes you lazy. Absolutely not. Grace empowers you with the victory that was gifted to you through Jesus Christ, and then you go forth knowing what God has accomplished and what, what Christ accomplished on that cross, and you go to enforce the victory already won. That's a whole different deal. When we pray like the thing we pray with Lord, Lord, we, 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 we declare your blessings and peace and prosperity over Vine Austin this entire region. What are we saying? That there's no blessing there? No, we're just saying that we, we, call, we, we want you to know that God's blessed. We're declaring what, we're coming into agreement with what God says. Is this making any sense to you? So you, I'm just, I hope that gives you hope because you don't have to have 200 people praying for you. There's nothing wrong. I mean, I, I have people praying with me and for me, and I value that. The Apostle Paul, grace guy, he, he, he said, I know that through the prayers of the church, this situation will turn. He, he, he said, I covet your prayers. Paul desired the prayers of people. And, and, it, and it, what, what, what does it do? It's bringing into agreement on earth what God has declared in the heavenlies. That's what prayer is. Prayer is not you trying to convince God of something that he don't want to do and that you just keep badgering him he's going to do it. People take parables that Jesus taught, like the woman that come to the wicked king and, and, and she asked him for something. And the wicked king, it says he doesn't, he doesn't even acknowledge God nor man. Remember that parable? But by her continual coming, to him, and she just wore him out, and finally he gave her what he wanted. You ever heard that parable taught? Let me tell you how it was preached to you. It was preached that that's like God. And if you'll just keep coming, and just keep on coming, and keep on asking, and then eventually, then God will give you because he's wanting you to persevere in faith. And they didn't even read the parable. The parable's not that God's like this wicked servant. Jesus was saying, God, my father's nowhere near like this guy. My, my God's nowhere near. He was doing a comparison. My father's not like this. With my father, you don't have to come and keep badgering him and wearing him out and begging and pleading. You don't have to do that. You come as a son. You come as a daughter, and you just ask God. And if you ask, you receive. If you knock, it'll be open. If you seek, you'll find. That's how my daddy is. That's what Jesus was telling him. And what do we do? We get preachers, we grab hold of that parable, and then make the whole church believe that's the way God is. Jesus said, my father's not like this at all. He's not like that. So you don't have to get 100 signatures. You don't have to have 1,000 people in a prayer chain to pray for you to get your prayer answered. It breaks my heart that you don't have any more confidence or relationship in the, confidence in your relationship with the father that you could just talk to him as a good daddy. See, when you know that he's a good daddy, he's going to do good. It, it just... It, you know, you rest in that. I remember my kids were growing up, and you had all these people, you know, in the vans, you know, dealing, you know, offering candy to the kids to get in the van and steal them and do whatever deal with them, you know. 
I was so scared if my kids didn't even go to school. Just, just worried all the time, just worried and stuff. But you've you got to come to a place of rest in God. Religion will just keep you working in labor. If God's giving you the fullness, that's why we can rest, because he's, every spiritual blessing has been given and granted to us in Christ Jesus. Now, what happens to us is we come to the revelation, and us, it's just like God gave it to us. Brother Dale, people, I mean, you know, so over these years, oh, uh, Pastor Dale, would you pray for my husband to get saved? I tell you, I mean, he, he just really needs salvation. I just pray that, that God will save him, that this will be his time. Okay, so let me, let me say this. Listen to me. So do you think that God's got a date circled on the calendar for your husband to get saved? Is that what you believe? You just believe his number ain't come up yet. Or you don't believe that God's put the screws to him tight enough yet to make him hurt and holler, oi, and ouch, enough that he'll turn to Jesus. Is that what you're thinking? You want God to rough him up a little bit. Is that what you want? You want God to give him a little attitude adjustment, kind of beat him down a little bit, put him in the hospital where he can read the Bible. Let's, get you, let's, let's define what it is. When do you think that God saved your husband? I mean, as far as saving it made the price paid, when did that happen? I'm just going to sit down. Y'all making me tired. It's going to take a while. It's like eating possum. The big, more you chew it, the bigger it's getting. <clears throat> I've never eaten possum. That was just a... When did God save your husband? 2,000 years ago on the cross. When did your husband accept that salvation that was purchased? Could be any date on the calendar. When did God want him to accept it? We're not waiting on God, y'all. We're not waiting on God to decide to save your husband. God's already saved him. All we're waiting on is your husband to come into the place of having faith and belief. And so what, how's that going to happen? Because he, he needs to hear the good news of the gospel of grace. And once he hears how good it is, who doesn't want to accept a good deal? And then that husband with faith in Jesus will believe in him and, and his salvation will be realized. And then he will enjoy the benefit of that forgiveness that was granted 2,000 years ago. He'll enjoy the benefit of that peace between him and God that was granted 2,000 years ago. And he'll enjoy all the other things that are gifted at that born-again experience. And he will begin to live. And it's like having been somebody walking up and giving you a, a humongous treasure chest. And, you, and, and from now on until we die, you live your Christian life discovering things in there that you didn't even know was in there. And that's the way it is reading the Bible. That's the way it is coming to the house. Oh, you mean that's in there? I didn't know that was in there. Yeah, that's in there, man. It's in there. It's in there. I didn't know it was in there. I know you didn't. But, man, there's a lot in there that we don't know. That's why we keep reading the Bible. Coming, to, You understand what I'm saying with that? Okay, now if you can accept that, do, I mean, do you, do, you, do you accept that? Do you see that it's not like God's got a time, you know, to, 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 to save that person? That person can get saved at any time, right? Hang on now, because you got to get this one. This was the easier one. There's one coming behind It's going to be a little tougher. You okay? Because by his stripes, okay, now you're going to have to quote it right now if you don't want me to say amen to it. 
by his stripes, you were, were healed. All right, can we say it this way? By his crucifixion, you were saved. But that doesn't mean everybody's saved. Why? Because they don't believe it. They don't receive it. They hadn't experienced it. But it was already accomplished. Now, hang on. This one's a little tougher for people. This one don't go down so great. Listen. So if on that cross Jesus paid for your sin, your salvation, he also said, I paid for something else. By my stripes you were healed. You were healed. When were I healed? 2,000 years ago. When did you receive your healing? Could be last week. Could be next month. You could not need a healing today. But you listen, listen now. You're not waiting on God to heal you. God don't have a super duper day on the calendar. This is your day. I'm glad you came today because ah, this is your day. <laughs> you know, and all that stuff that goes on, in, all that stuff's just, that's just man messing around. They make you believe it's your day. Why is it? It is your day. Today is the day of salvation. And you know what tomorrow will be? Tomorrow will be today. It'll be today is the day of salvation. Y'all read Hebrews? Today is the day of salvation. Oh, today? Yeah. And tomorrow will be today. So today is salvation includes, salvation, sozo, includes forgiveness of sin, healing of your diseases, and deliverance of all torment. That's a fact, and I ain't got time to break all the... It's the that's a fact what that word means. But in, the, in today's Americanized church, we have diluted it to just mean one thing. Salvation, forgiveness of sin. So we're only getting one-third of what was paid. Why? Because God cut back two-thirds? No. God's in a spiritual recession? No. Because we have become ignorant of what God accomplished. Now, this one goes down really tough. It's really difficult because salvation... Jesus, remember the guy that, 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 that Jesus was preaching, remember that? And the, and the disciples had this guy that was paralyzed, and they wanted to get him there to get him healed, right? And so they got him on the cot, and they go up on the roof because the crowd won't let him through, and they tear the guy's roof large enough, a hole in it, to lower the guy down with ropes and a gurney, right? Remember that story? Re- reach over and tell your neighbor that story. Some of them don't remember. I'm going to have to wait for y'all. No. Listen. Right, why did they bring the guy? What was they wanting? Healed, obviously. So Jesus is preaching. They start tearing the roof off, stuff's falling in. I mean, so you got to quit preaching, right? So Jesus, they lowered a guy in, and Jesus looks at him lying there, and this is what he says. Listen, man, your sins are forgiven you. Your sins, personal, are, not will be, if you repent, confess, ask me, None of that. Now, this guy hadn't opened his mouth. This guy ain't said boo. Jesus pronounced to him, your sins are already forgiven. You. We've got two personal pronouns in there. Your sins are forgiven you. And you ain't even asked me because you don't have to because I don't need your permission to forgive you. Some of you think God needs your permission to forgive you of your sin. It's, God has already forgiven you of your sin. You might not be enjoying the benefit of it, the, 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 the joy of it, but it's not because your father is holding it against you. When did he forgive me? I hadn't even asked him. 
He don't need your permission. He did it on the cross. He took away sin. Uh, now he says, your sins are forgiven you. Now when the religious crowd hears the preacher make that statement that I've just talked about, they get upset. It says many of the scribes and Pharisees that were there that day, the, you know, that, they were, that, that angered them. And it angers people today, the grace message. And they said, who is this, you know, for nobody forgives sin but God only. Jesus knew their thoughts. And he said to them, let me ask you all a question. Which is easier? For me to say to the man, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say to him, take up thy bed and walk. But so that you'll know, and I'm paraphrasing it, so that you'll know that this ain't just a man here talking, but this is God. Because you said right that I, only God can forgive sins, but I am God, and I am Emmanuel, which means God with us. I am God in the flesh because I am God. I have the power to forgive sin, but which is easier for you to say, man, take up that bed and walk or thy sins be forgiven. Jesus said, obviously, it's easier. He said, but so you'll know that the Son of Man has power on us to forgive sins. I say unto this man, take up thy bed and walk. And immediately this man got up. Now, which is easier? Is it easier to get people to believe in that their sins can be forgiven and receive salvation? Or is it easier to get them to believe that, that by his stripes you are healed and to receive their healing? It is much easier on the salvation side. It's easier. Easier. That don't mean God don't want to do it. We got a lot of people that suffer diseases, cancers, all kind of things. And there's been times, man, I've been healed so many times. And there's been times I hadn't been. But it wasn't on God. God's not trying to teach me something. God don't give nobody cancer to try to get them to come to church. God don't drown people to try to get them to straighten up. God don't kill people. He don't send hurricanes, tornadoes, disasters, earthquakes, or any other thing to try to get people to get right with God. He's already done all he's going to do, and he's finished, and he sent his son to love and declare and to show forth grace. Jesus came full of grace and truth. And that's all he's going to do, and he's not going to do anymore. His works are finished before the foundation of the world, the Bible says. This is not an afterthought with God. God's not coming with another plan. This is it. Now, men make a lot of dumb decisions, and they go through all kinds of problems because they made wrong choices. But it is not God punishing them. This really bothers people. I wrote a blog about it years ago. It's on my website, DaleYoung.net. Read it. It'll bless you. We are unpunishable by God. You, well, I'm be, I feel like I'm going through it. God's not punishing you. You're punishing yourself. You stuck your own fingers in the fan. Don't blame it on God. And don't sue the fan maker because they put blades on the fan. That's, you made a bad decision. And you're suffering. And you're hurting for it. And people that love you watching you hurt are hurting because you're hurting. But God is not behind it. God's not in control. Well, I know the Lord's in control. He is not in control. He's in charge, but not in control. God don't want babies raped, murdered, people killed, thug. God don't want any of that happening on this earth. He said, I want it on earth like it is in heaven. So you pray. Pray. Walk that life out. I desire on earth like it is in heaven. Pray that my will is done on earth. Because my will is not always done on earth. It's not my will that any should perish. But all should come to repentance. I want everybody to come to where they change their mind. Repent means change your mind the way you think about me. You've been lied to by that bouncer at that door. And he told you, straight is the gate, narrow is the way, few there be that find it. 
And he's trying to scare you with those verses. The only person at the door trying to keep you out is the Pharisees. It's religion. And they're lying to you about who God is and how God is. That's why it's a straight and narrow guy. Well, when it comes to eternal life, I mean, God's very narrow-minded. It's Jesus only. Jesus, didn't, Jesus said, I am the way. He is the way. There's not another way. Well, there's many ways that all lead. No, there's not. Sorry. Thanks for playing. <clears throat> You're wrong. There's, there's not many ways. There's not many trails that all lead to the same top of the mountain. You're not going through Mohammed. You're not going to get there by Islam. You're not going to get there by any. You're not getting there through any other religious thing. There is one mediator between man and God, and that is the man Christ Jesus. There is one way to the Father. Somebody says, well, you know, the, you know, the goal of Christianity is heaven. The goal of Christianity is not heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Listen, listen to the rest of the verse. For no man cometh unto the, what? Unto the Father except by, so the goal is the Father. Heaven is not some amusement park that you choose to go to or not. I just want to make it to heaven, Brother Dale. <laughs> they just gives me a cabin in the corner glory. I'd be happy. I mean, you, this ain't Six Flags, baby. This ain't Disney World. That's why you see heaven. You get your ticket and you go in. <laughs> uh, heaven is Jesus, man. Jesus is heaven. <laughs> man. It ain't about streets of gold and pearl gates and city built four square and all that stuff, man. That ain't. Come on, man. Don't you know that? Have you ever met Jesus? Where is heaven? Wherever Jesus is. <laughs> wherever, wherever Jesus is. Where, where is Jesus? Where did you say he lived when you got born again? Y'all ain't getting this. I done, I done waited out there too deep with y'all. Why is Jesus the only way to heaven? Why is he? Because he is heaven. That's why. Somebody said to me one time, you know, heaven, man, it'd be hell to me. I, I don't like, you know, all that church deal. Um, they, they just don't get it. It's not an amusement park. It's not a place that you go and hang out. It's a person. That's why we say all the time right here, grace is a person. And, 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 his, and his name is Jesus. Uh, Adam and Eve lived in a perfect environment. This is before sin. They didn't need anything. Now, if you're the devil and they got everything they would ever humanly, physically need, and spiritually as well, but they got everything, how would you... How would you go about tempting a person like that? You can't tempt them with adultery because they ain't nobody got nobody to tempt adultery with. You can't. What are you going to tempt them with? So if you're Satan and you're trying to tempt these people, what are you going to tempt them with? 
This is the lie that Satan used. There's a deficiency in you. You don't have everything you need. Um, what God said is not true. And you need to do something physically. You need to do something. You need to eat of this fruit. And if you do something, then you'll get something. So in other words, Satan's lie that worked so well in the garden and it still works so well today with most of the church is you're lacking something. So we sing these things, more of you, Lord. We just need more of you. Lord, I pray that you'll, uh, you know, that I'll decrease and you'll increase. Are you saying that you got to decrease before God can increase? That's like saying the moon has to turn out its light before the sun can come up in the morning. Do you realize that so many days when the sun comes up, the moon is still setting up there in the sky? You have to look real hard a lot of times. You dismiss it. Because why? Because the brightness of the sun so exceeds. The moon is simply a reflection of the sun. Are you with me? So this whole thing that we get caught up in religion, God don't want you to decrease. He just wants you to, to, to manifest that light. You, you, you ever think, I was thinking about this week, that, that verse that says, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess. You know, in the end, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess. Let me ask you this. What do you see when you, when you hear that verse? What, what kind of image goes to your mind? You know, when I was growing up in church, they would quote that verse, and it was something like this. I always saw, like, you know, God's angels standing there with, like, M16s or something, and people coming up at the judgment, and they're like, bow your knee. Bow your head. Get on your knees. But the Bible says, every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. So is God forcing people to do that? Because the Apostle Paul said, in Romans 10, that how you get saved is say Jesus is Lord. But that ain't what Jesus said about it. When he quoted the Old Testament prophet that said, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. So which one's right? Paul or Jesus, they're both right. And they're not at odds. Let me ask you this. If you walked outside today and you look up at the sun, what are you going to do with your eyes? You're going to close, you're going to squint your eyes. It's going to be automatic, right? No lessons needed. No one has to be taught a course on. Now, when you look at the sun, do this. It comes automatically regardless of the age of the person. Is that right? I'm trying to make a point. Is that right? That's how it's going to be at the, when they, people behold the Lord. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. Because they have to, because they're forced to, because they're put at the point of a spear? No. Because just like when you look at the sun, your eyes are automatically screwed because of the brightness of that light. When you stand in the glory and the presence of Almighty God, nobody's going to have to tell you that's God. And you, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is truly the Lord. Now, that don't mean all them folk going to heaven. But they're going to recognize that that is the God of the ages and in his glory and in his splendor and so what, what, that, that's what you got to see with the, with, the, with, the, with the grace of God Satan told them hey man you, you're not complete you need something else and they believe that lie I'm ending with this the narrow gate is hard to enter because our flesh our own sight our own mental understanding has trouble receiving the grace message our flesh wants to follow Adam. But if you follow Adam and start making your fig leaves, man, 
your nakedness is still going to be there. And you're going to be really busy trying to get a God who already accepts you just as you are to accept you. We can only enter the narrow gate by one thing, and that's called faith. A lot of people are like, Adam, man, I got this. I'll handle this myself. I'll, you know, I'll get myself together. I got this. I'll handle this. I'll make my own fig leaves. I'll save my own self. Man, DIY Christianity is killing you. There is no do-it-yourself. That's why Jesus came, because we couldn't. We can only enter the narrow gate by faith in a person. And what, I, what we all got to say is what I said to the Lord many years ago. Lord, I don't got this. I don't got this at all. Uh, and when you just declare that, Lord, I need you, then what happens is you receive what's already been freely given. You receive his grace. You abide in that restful place in Jesus. And then Jesus has got this. And if you, if you choose that, then the result of that is life. Now, I hadn't talked on this subject, and I'm not going to do it today, but there's, it's really gaining momentum, has been for quite a number of years because of certain folk, and that's inclusionism, where everybody's already say they just don't know it, and everybody's going to heaven. And these verses I read today are telling you that's just not the way it is. There's a broad path, and there's a narrow path. There's a wide gate, there's a narrow gate. Now, everybody that goes on this other way, that's destruction. Everybody goes through this gate, which is Jesus, that's life. That, that's the reality. Now, there's going to be people that's going to find it, and there's going to be people not going to find it. Most people that are not finding it are not looking for it. They're trying to save themselves like the Pharisees. Well, I'm good enough. I don't need it. I don't need church. I don't need God. I don't need anything. I'm, you know, I don't need it. You know, religion is a crutch for the weak-minded. All those things that people say. Hey, man, a lot, a lot of people on the path with you. But the truth is that Jesus is the life. He's the way, he is the truth, and he's the life. And, and, and to, to enter into that and experience that, you've got to come through him because he's the only one that's paid the price. There's no other religion in the world that said a guy came and died and he credited your account with his sacrifice. All other religions say you sacrifice and you crawl and you beg and you plead and you cut yourself and you do all these things and then maybe God will accept you. I don't know how many funerals I've been to where preachers, I mean evangelical preachers, will do such a good job for a few minutes at a funeral. And they will talk just a few minutes, and then they'll turn around and kill it everything by saying this person went to heaven because they're a good person. And I don't worry about me because I know that's not true. But I worry about those people that are sitting there listening to that funeral that thinks that that's the reason they went to, because their grandma was good and that's why she went to heaven. Or because, you know, whatever the deal is, nobody goes because of that. The old adage, good people go to heaven, bad people go to heaven, that's not true. Born again people enter into Christ. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. And everybody else that's in Adam all die. That's the choice. So inclusionism is a lie. Everybody's not automatically saved. God doesn't do shotgun weddings. You know what a shotgun wedding is? You make the dude marry a woman or the girl marry a guy whether they want to or not. Shotguns to the head. Okay, tell each other you love each other. Uh, confess the vows or I'll kill you right here. I mean, that's not a real good wedding. Come on, work with me. Shotgun wedding. Okay, so for God to save the whole world without their permission is shotgun wedding. 
God says, you're going to marry my son. He's the bridegroom. You're the bride. But by God, by God, you're going to marry him or I'm going to kill you right here. You think that's how God is? That's what inclusionism would have to be. Shotgun waiting for everybody. And if God was going to come in with a shotgun and force you to marry his son, whether you wanted to or not, then I wish he would have interrupted man's free will choice back in the garden. Because that would have saved a whole lot of suffering and pain. God didn't do it then because he didn't override the free choice, and he's not going to do it now, and he's not going to do it in some future day. So you know what? You get to choose. Two paths, only one of them lead to life. Only one. And if God's given you that grace pouring to you, which the grace of God's appeared to all men, then just choose the right path. Indiana Jones, remember that priest dude? If you don't remember, don't worry about it. Or go home and watch it today. Hey, you might get a kick out of it. They're trying to pick out the little, you know, flask that Jesus supposedly drank last supper. And they got all these wine, uh, you know, vessels in there that they took wine. And, you know, the priest is talking to the dude, you know, they're like, choose wisely. <laughs> and the guy pictures the most ornate, you know, decorated jewels, and he drinks out of that, and he just turns into, you know, you know, smoke. He said he chose poorly. Remember that part? And then Indiana Jones chooses the wooden, the most humble, non-decorative, non-jewels and drinks of that and because he was a carpenter, the humility of Christ. You know, just a movie. But the, but the, the spirit of the thing is, Choose wisely because you get to choose. You get to choose, and you get to choose every day which path that you're going to choose. Don't choose yours. Don't, don't choose yours. For every man has chosen his own way. Don't do that. Just him. And then you rest in it. Father, I thank you. Thank you for this life. Thank you for the peace. Just rest in that. It's such a better way. Man, I've tried to live in both worlds, religion and all that stuff. I've tried to fast and pray and scratch and claw and get God to light me. And, and all those times I was fasting and praying and reading the Bible and, and sacrificing and doing. I mean, I went for years. I remember when I got up that Sunday and announced to my church that I pastored then. And I said, from 8 o'clock in the morning to 12 noon, five days a week, I'm not taking any appointments with any of y'all unless it's a life or death emergency. And I'm going to be in my prayer cabin, and I'm going to be there down there uh, every morning, and I'm not coming out until 12 every day. I'm going to be there praying from daylight until 12. And I remember the congregation stood and applauded. They were like, ah, man, I felt like, oh, glory to God. And I did it. I'd get up early. And a lot of times I'd set my clock sometimes 4.30 in the morning, 5.30 in the morning, because I thought if you prayed when it hurt, that you got more credit for that. That God heard, you know, like if I even knows I'm just fighting my flesh and I'm getting up at 5.30 and I'm going to pray and I'm praying at 5.30 instead of 5.30 in the afternoon when it would be easier, then God likes that better because I'm making my flesh and I'm, and I'm suffering and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And I did years of that stuff, guys. And I, I, listen, honestly looking back, I thought I was getting brownie points with God. I thought he liked me more. I, I thought he was more apt to anoint me greater. And I was missing the boat, man. Is it wrong to get up at 5? No. But don't get up at 5.30 because you think you're suffering and God likes you. If you God will hear you pray at 5.30 in the afternoon, man. I'm, I'm not saying don't pray. I just don't have to pray as long as I used to. Because I don't have to, you know, clear the deck of all the sin I've ever committed. I, think, I don't have to do all that stuff no more. I just thank God for Jesus. And I just get right on the business with Papa. And I talk about what's on the... What's, on, what's current? You know what I'm saying? 
And I'm not trying to save myself. And I rest in that. Lord, thank you for the anointing. Thank you for your presence. When I'm headed out to work and doing things, I say, Lord, I thank you for the favor that's on my life. That's from you. Now, I just pray that you would grant that favor with these people. Because they don't know I'm your kid. Help them to see me. To see Jesus in me. Grant favor with God and man. Somebody says, I need favor with God. You need favor with God and man. Because you're going to meet some people tomorrow. Like You're going to need favor. And God's going to work on your behalf. He's still working. It's that grace working in you. It's that grace working out of you. Amen? Amen. Woo, stand to your feet. You receive it. Come on, give Jesus some praise for his word. Amen. Uh, community group leaders, I know y'all are on sabbatical, but not from prayer time. Get up here, hallelujah. Elders, come. Hey, we just want to be here for you. We don't, we don't want to be lazy. We're here to pray with you if you want prayer for any, any reason. The best reason I know of for prayer is for you to just come down here and say you believe in Jesus today, and you didn't when you come in, but you've accepted him today. You've accepted that life that he offers so freely, and you receive it by faith in him. Amen? Man, come on, look over at somebody and smile. Tell them, man, man, wasn't that good today? Glory to God, that was so good. <laughs> Amen. I I know. uh, Anyway, God's good to us, isn't he? So if you want prayer, man, we'll pray with you about anything. We just don't ever want to send you away from this church without opportunity to pray with you and to let you know that we care. And we're here to serve you and, and pray with you and be concerned about what you're concerned about. And we'll be so happy to share that burden with you and pray to our Father with you and for you. Amen. Father, thank you for your tremendous, amazing grace. Thank you, God, that you are the doorway. It is that narrow gate that leads to eternal life, and that's you, Jesus. God, we rebuke the bounce for religion that lies to people to tell them to get their stuff together, and we declare silence to that voice of religion. And, Father, we ask today, For those in our family, our friends that don't know the goodness of our God, that that revelation of Jesus would be coming to them now through whomever and however. But, Lord, we pray that their minds would no longer be blinded to the goodness of God by Satan and that their hearts would be open to receive your grace, your forgiveness, your mercy, your healing that was granted 2,000 years ago on your cross. So we pray that for them in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. God bless you, Grace Point. If you want prayer, please come up here.